0: Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White with your hosts, Lala and Brian.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. So glad you all joined us again. We wanna give a shout out to all our new listeners that make up the six continents. Oh yes, I'm dropping that little knowledge. Six continents where our podcast is downloaded. Thank you, thank you, thank you folks in Australia, Ireland, India, Asia. Asia, that's a great name. We are very excited today to have one of my great mentees that I have grown to love very much over the last several years. She has constantly impressed me as a leader, as a professional, and more importantly, as a person. She loves to put humanity first and leads with her very high emotional intelligence and empathy. Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome, Asia, Monique Gray, soon to be Megara, to the Everything's Not Black and White podcast.
2: You make me sound amazing. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: We're very excited to be here. And I just want to give everybody just a little insight. Uh, Asia and I were peers in a company uh, that's local to Central Ohio area. And then she, for some reason, decided she could learn something from me. And (laughs) I became her leader of our team. And let me tell you, I learned probably more from her than I could ever teach her. Um, But she became just like one of my own children that I just love and adore. And I'm constantly impressed with who she is as a human being and a citizen of the world. So it is absolutely my pleasure to have her on the show today.
2: I'm trying to make me emotional, like <laughs> I love emotion. I have to have an AMG hat on today. I know <laughs> people know me; they know how emotional I get.
1: So, but uh, Asia is a wonderful young person, and uh, she um, has definitely taught me a lot. And I am going to have the pleasure and privilege of officiating her wedding in three short months. Right?
2: Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yes. <laughs>
1: So we're very excited. So today's episode, we we invited Asia over because we have a topic that is near and dear to her heart and something that, you know, she and I have had many conversations around, and that is the importance of mental health, mental health awareness, and creating boundaries. And so I want to just set the stage a little bit and have Asia talk a little bit about First of all, just who are you so people get to know you a little bit and how did this topic become one of interest to you?
2: I feel like it makes the most sense if I give a little background on how I grew up. So grew up in the suburbs here in Columbus, predominantly white suburb, majority white suburb. (laughs) But although I was in the suburbs, my grandma really raised us and she was that Southern Baptist that you probably hear about. If you watch soul food, that's my life. I'm the little girl just to like the tea. Um, my brother would be narrating. And that kind of made me feel like whenever I was in a tough spot, I just need to pray about it. I need to go to church. I need to get more Jesus. I need more oil on my forehead dripping down. Like that was kind of what I was raised on. And it wasn't that we talked about what we were feeling. It was just, you prayed about it mm-hmm. and oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, read the Bible, you know, things like that. And that was a, far as my mental health knowledge went it was probably on it and it'll be what it'll be went to college and that's kind of where it shifted for me it made made me think more about mental health and what it actually means and what I was experiencing and what was quote-unquote normal and what was something that maybe everyone else wasn't experiencing around me although college was when it first started when I lived in North Carolina for a little bit that's What really kind of like checked me, if you will, because I was no longer in a predominantly white suburb and they were looking at me like I was, you know, the outcast. Like, why do you talk like that? Why do you look like that? Like, is your dad white? Like all the things. Right. So it's like, oh, I need to kind of learn more about myself and the person that I want to be.
1: Yeah. So I can totally relate to that fact because I obviously grew up in Georgia, South Georgia very Southern Baptist, you know, household and and whole community for that fact of the matter. And we never talked about mental health. But when I cried, they called me water baron. I need to stop crying. I cry all the time. (laughs) So it was always this challenge just to even emote and get all the feelings out of you. You know, there is something about that. So I think that stigma is interesting. And I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more, you know, even with a lot of black families and for those of our, Our audiences who um, don't identify as black or African-American, it is not something that has historically been talked about in our families. We've always had this this connotation of, oh, you're strong. You've been through everything. Y'all, your history has made you stronger. Your DNA is strong. It's still exhausting, (laughs) A lot of times to be emotionally bankrupt sometimes from just dealing with the world and environment. So I'm curious if you can let us know, is there a catalyst or something that really started you paying more attention in general to your mental health?
2: There were two major things. As a kid, my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor mm. and we never really talked about what it meant. How were we dealing with it? But we were always in the hospital she went through a lot of surgeries and then i noticed my mom changed like it wasn't the mom that i had where we were just going to the outlet mall every weekend she was more so staying to herself a lot sometimes she wouldn't come out the room and no one ever talked about it it was kind of just like yeah whatever christy's doing christy but i knew something had changed and that really had an effect on me seeing my mom like that she wasn't laughing and stuff as much as she wanted But at the time, I had no idea what to do with it. Right. So you fast forward. I graduate high school. Now I know a little bit more about depression and things like that. And that's obviously what my mom was going through on top of the physical health issue she was having. And I felt like there was no way I could address it at that point because so many years had gone by. And then also Southern Baptist, a child stays in a child's place, a child's to be seen, not heard. And you don't have adult conversation. So who am I? To, you know, try to talk about these things. The second thing was the summer before I went to college. I went to a house party with some friends because I was very social in high school. I'm not, not to flex, but you know, I was that girl. Everyone was always at Age's house, right? So that summer we went to a house party and never been on this part of town before, but I know I was having fun. All my friends were having fun. All of a sudden you just hear like a ch And this guy pulled a gun out and everyone kind of backs up and he's right in my face with the gun. I could not find any of my friends in that moment. And he pulls his gun out, it's in my face. I literally had just met one of my friend's brothers that day. He came and grabbed me. Everyone started running. Everyone else started pulling out guns. It was like such a thing. I didn't drive so I was running uh, to my friend's car with uh, his brother. And, you know, we go home that night, we're kind of laughing about it. Like, oh man, that was crazy. And we move on. We never actually like talked about that impact or the trauma. So then I go to college. I really did not want to go to Ohio State. So I went to Cincinnati my freshman year, but I was home every weekend on the weekend, was not making friends, wasn't really social. I, I didn't feel like it was wrong. But I knew I didn't feel like myself. How come I don't have a whole bunch of friends? How come all of a sudden I'm the quiet one? Don't really want to go out. And that got me looking into, so let me fast forward a little bit. I transferred home <laughs> because my mom's like, we're not about to come keep picking you up. Transferred to Ohio State. I was home, but I still didn't feel like myself. I still wasn't as social. You know, I was now with my partner, Anthony, but other than him, wasn't really social. So it's like I am I'm, I'm going to get therapy. I saw it on TV a lot. It was always that funny living single episode. Khadija goes a little wild. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to try it. And that's when I found out I was having not only depression, but social anxiety. And it all triggered back to that party. And I'm talking about it quickly, but years had gone by but by this time. And that really got me thinking, because what if when my mom was sick, we actually talked about her feelings and what changed and how can we get you back or what if that night, instead of us laughing, obviously we're kids, we don't know, but instead of us laughing, we're like, hey, but are you okay? Because that was some stuff and you never experienced that. Like if we actually, if, if that was the norm to talk about how you're feeling, mm-hmm. how different things could have been for me in college. Cause I did not enjoy college. I thought it was gonna be everything. And it was the worst time for me. And I lost a lot of friends because I was just to myself and no one asked, Asia what happened? So that was a long winded way to answer, but that was (laughs) what kind of got me starting about mental health because it's not a great feeling when you don't feel like yourself and you're not sure why you just know it is what it is.
0: Our listeners can't see it, but from my point of view, watching her tell that story, there was an intensity (laughs) in her eyes as she was sharing that. And um, yeah, it's, it's a sobering uh, reality. Sometimes when you get into environments like that, and something like that, where they, someone pulls a gun out, it really changes the dynamics of the situation. And that can be very traumatic.
2: A hundred percent. And it's like, why was the norm to make jokes about it?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: like, oh, man, that was crazy. Oh, that's like boys in the hood. But it's traumatizing. And that, and that's not the
0: norm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah brian you had your own incident like that when you were younger as well
0: i did i wasn't going to bring it up but yes i (laughs) i I got actually shot at so (laughs) it is a uh, sobering reality i don't like to relive but uh yeah i was a little drunk though so it might not have the same emotional effect initially (laughs) (laughs) well that's okay but but thanks for bringing it up law my younger and wilder, that's probably about the same age. I didn't, I didn't go to college. So I was out partying with my friends that, that did go to college and, yeah. uh, got, got ourselves looped into that incident. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, <laughs> moving on. Uh, why do you, why do you think it is easier for younger generations to talk about mental health?
2: I mean, when you look at this generation that's coming up, like if you think about the way that they are really making a stand for the things they're not going to stand for. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to give myself some props as a millennial. I think we kind of help pave that way Mm -hmm. by starting to have the conversations, not as a norm, but at least opening that door a little bit Mm -hmm. where they can kick it open. And I mean, I think social media is just so toxic and like they're growing up iPad in the hand before the bottle. Like it's just it's insane. And
0: not our kids we didn't have yeah. iPads
2: <laughs> I mean I didn't either but I mean <laughs> they were not in,
1: he means they're not invented yet because we're old yes, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's just easier for them because they have so many outlets for it right mm-hmm. like you can create an Instagram page and you can set it up to where no one even knows who you truly are but it's an outlet for you to talk about things you're experiencing you can even gain a following people are even mm-hmm. making money off of it And I think it's a good thing, but it's also dangerous Yeah, because just as you can get on there and have that outlet and figure out why you're feeling a certain way and all the things about depression, you can also get depressed with the things you're seeing on there.
0: Our child, who's who's non-binary, goes on to Reddit, I know, and goes into certain communities to seek advice. Of course, she does it in anonymity, but the tool's out there. And I think it's a great tool when it works good, but sometimes that anonymity... Uh, is beneficial for both for everybody. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's
1: very very hard. Why you speak about social media being toxic and dangerous in a lot of ways? We have all been truly inundated with it the last couple of years because of COVID and being you know sequestered in the house and dealing with things. And so I I feel like a lot of things have gotten amplified greatly by people being stuck in quarantine inside and and sharing and resharing and. And doing all kind of things with the story. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you've been able to navigate for the last couple of years with, you know, obviously a global pandemic and being quarantined to, a incredibly volatile political and social justice, um, environment that we've been in. So I'm just really curious, how have you been able to navigate through that personally? And it was that a, a dev, you know a detrimental impact to you
2: yeah when i think about the past couple years of the pandemic and that includes you know covid black lives matter everything it's been the biggest blessing for me and by no means do i mean like i've just been smooth sailing there's been some challenges but at every moment it's been challenging me and at the end of like the storm i'm falling more in love with asia so let's start with the black lives matter That really checked me. Of course, we have so many people who are like, oh, you're black. You can educate me. No, honey, I'm educating myself. Okay. growing up in the suburbs, there's a lot of privilege that came with that. And seeing those videos and in particular, the Breonna Taylor situation, that really rocked me. And it wasn't that I thought like, oh, racism isn't a thing. I knew it because You know, you have those alerts when you see cops and you're out or someone's looking at you a little crazy in the store thinking you're shoplifting. I know that. But to see it such so clearly that there's so many people out there in high positions of power that do not value my life simply because of the color of my skin, which I have no control over. It was it was a lot. And someone wise said to me that even if you have a friend and they're white. And y'all have never discussed what it's like for you to be black in America or they can't relate. That's not your friend. And that opened up so many doors for me because I do have more white friends than black. For whatever reason. But during that time when they weren't checking on me or I posted a poem and it really meant a lot to me because I was very vulnerable, which I'm very private. And I posted this poem about being black and the emotions, because my partner has locks. So I don't like when he goes out without me a lot because how am I gonna be there to quote unquote protect you, right? I posted this poem and my friends did not react and they didn't say, oh my goodness, or thank you for posting that, or I never realized, they didn't say anything. And I didn't like the silence because I didn't post it for you to check on me, but it told me a lot that when you didn't. And then now I'm planning a wedding. And they're like, oh, Asia, the- if you can't be there <laughs> for mm-hmm. something as serious as me pouring my heart out, then you're not going to be there on the best day of my life when I'm experiencing the utmost joy. Right. Because I needed that uplifting when I was seeing people being murdered just because they were black. So that's how the social justice has helped me, because it's real, made me realize everyone's not your friend. And talking about race shouldn't be a sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. If it's sensitive for you then maybe there's some inner unpacking you should do right when I look at the pandemic and COVID specifically being in the house it made me really reflect because so many times my therapist would say to me like what do you do that makes Asia happy or what do you do for you and I never really had an answer as sad as that was but COVID I was forced to figure out what do I like to do I found out I love to do puzzles I love to just sit in the silence And just let my thoughts go. And I think that was the biggest thing because now things are getting a little bit back to normal. When I feel like I'm in that depression cycle, I know what I like to do. All right, let's get that puzzle. Okay, Asia, why don't you make a new playlist? Let's sit in some silence. And I think I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I I just think all the things the past couple years have given me such clarity that I'm so grateful I have at this time in my life.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, being self-awareness is, is such a powerful thing, you know, and I think a lot of people don't take enough time to actually sit and learn who they are.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you could just say like generic answers. we would be like, oh, what do you like to do? Oh, brunch. You know, <laughs> that was my answer. But it's like, okay, girl.
1: <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like brunch? Yes, honey. Honey.
2: but you <laughs> should know yourself deeper than that. And that was the gift. Agreed,
1: agreed. <laughs> That that goes well for me. Which you know, ladies and gentlemen, mimosa's at brunch. Okay,
2: that's all I had to say.
0: I just wanted to add that. Man, in. <laughs> we had that bottomless mimosa in uh, New Orleans.
2: Yeah, Ooh, what a gift of bottomless uh, mimosa! Yeah, it's a gift,
0: it and, was a and, g- they, and
2: they
1: they literally never let your glass get you get empty. halfway
0: empty, and it's a gift they kept on giving. And yeah. I, I think I think I almost crawled out. Like it was <laughs> it was bad. Like because we went to the World War II Museum after that, and I'm like so buzzed, and I'm like this is not the place to be buzzed. <laughs> oh. That did not work for me. <laughs>
1: But we have fun and obviously we get to tell a story and we love storytelling, (laughs) which is awesome. One thing that you said earlier and what obviously resonated with me was about not talking about health or if you're not feeling well mentally and emotionally in in your family. And I know there has been a stigma for a lot of years in the Black community about health in general, but really about mental health. Do you think we are getting to a place um, where people of color can be more open with these kind of discussions?
2: Slowly but surely. And I say that because there's no reason they sh- that we should not feel open, but it's there. So I say that because... I feel like the more that we have these conversations, the less there will be like the negative stigma. So on the way here, I was talking to my dad and I was telling him I was coming to do a podcast. I'm going to talk about mental health. And his response was, you sure you want to do that? And I was like, what do you mean? And he responded and said, are you sure you want to be the face of those issues? And that was it. It was like, dad, that that's why I'm doing it, because they're not issues. And we should talk about it more if we talked about it more we would know how common it is and that we're not alone Mm -hmm. and it's like imagine if we go back to my childhood if my mom had a conversation with us about depression and her being depressed when i started showing the signs we could have had a discussion about it and maybe things could have been a little bit different and so i just had to tell my dad like they're not issues so while i i feel like as black people, we are getting more open and talking about mental health. There's still so many generations that feel like these are issues or you're going to be labeled crazy. And it's a negative. It's such a negative for so many people still. Yeah. And that really breaks my heart because when you think about the younger generations coming up, they're experiencing a lot of things. Yeah, Social media, the technology, the school shootings. I mean, there's just so many things we need to be talking about mental
0: health. Even in the cancer community, which I'm really familiar with because of my cancer, it's, it is kind of taboo still. Even with cancer, people think they can't talk about the mental health issues. And I mentor a lot of cancer patients. And the first thing I always tell them is your mental health is going to be just as tough as the physical treatment you're going to get. So I wanted to open that door to them to say, hey, just be ready. Because even if you, if you don't think you need therapy, you don't think you need antidepressants, you just might because it's that difficult. So with that being said, I'd have to ask you, I know for me, uh, when I went through cancer, I went through uh, with a lot of antidepressants, helped me get through a lot of counseling, um, did some some other type of alternative uh, therapies as well. But the question I have for you is what kind of things have you done to protect your mental health?
2: Definitely therapy. And with that, I want people to know that your first therapist may not be the one and that is okay. I went through years with a therapist that wasn't the one, but I'm like, I need this. Like, it just, it hasn't clicked for me yet. And that, that's not the jam either. So don't do that. Um, so definitely therapy. Do not disturb on your phone is the biggest blessing for mental health, I feel like. I think that's such the norm to think that you need to always be available. And that is something I really struggle with, with my social anxiety is like, if someone's calling or texting, I need to get right back to them because what if they don't reach out again or it must be something important and that's that's not okay it's okay to say hey i don't want to be on the phone today i can return that call i can text them back tomorrow and it's not me being a bad friend or a bad daughter or anything it's asia looking out for asia and i think that's okay
1: it's more than okay boundaries are so incredibly important
2: say that again yes
1: <laughs> you know that that's something that i personally am am learning more about is how to set boundaries for myself and also the power of saying no you yes. know i think there's that that FOMO you're, you're thing. still trying to harness that man one. listen <laughs> you know they do the fomo thing right if you're missing out like people like i, I want to say yes because i don't want to miss something but i'm i'm already overwhelmed my plate is already full yet i say yes and i'm completely overwhelmed
2: Yes. Or the day comes for all the 50 things you said you do and you're like, I can't I don't want to do this. Right. And then it's overwhelming even more.
1: And that's exactly <laughs> right. So just, you know, the art of saying no and being OK with that and creating boundaries is so important. Mm-hmm. I know for me, you know, but again, there's a narrative out there about the strong black woman, how we oh, don't yes. always do what we need to do, but we always do what we have to do. And it's like the desire to just be in the moment is so hard. And I think that there's a stigma when you think about watching Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson in the most recent weeks defending her position to be on the Supreme Court with a million qualifications, more than any sitting Supreme Court. And yet here we are watching her literally be berated down to the nth degree. And I think every black woman collectively felt (laughs) everything that she was going through. And it's just exhausting sometimes trying to be strong all the time. You just want to be at rest. Sometimes you just want to cry. Sometimes you want to be alone and be quiet and have do not disturb on. So what do you think it's going to take for black women to be able to feel like they are allowed to just be? How can we change that narrative?
2: There's so there's so many levels to that. I feel like obviously we need the support. We need everyone who's not a black woman to do their part in making sure that, you know, just check in, just say how are you. And Reassuring that if we're needing to take a break, that we're supported. I don't. I don't want to assume, but I don't think that many other demographics second guess as much. You, I don't feel good. You, should you I can, call off? You can assume.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak for the other demographic.
2: <laughs> like I'm not feeling good. I think I should call off. No, I can't call off because I'm a missed day of pay. And I'm a, like you know, there's just spirals, and I there's so many times where I find myself doing that. And that comes to the second part. So yes, we need the support, but also as black women, I think we have to do better and hold ourselves to that standard that it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, you know, the judge and everything that she's going through, I think of that quote, you know, you have to be twice as good to get half of what they have, but why, Mm -hmm. why? And I find myself saying that quote so much, but it's like, why am I pushing that narrative? You know, like I'm now going to become a part of the problem. I'm not only am I holding myself to be twice as good. I'm also telling the younger generation, you gotta be twice as good. Like, but like, that's, we have to stop that. Yeah. You know, we have to do our part in changing these quote unquote norms.
1: Yeah. I heard a quote the other day that uh, actually a black woman sent to me and it says, I deserve to have a soft life. Why does everything have to be hard? Yes. It doesn't have to be hard. (laughs) And it's like, I know myself, I'll have to relearn and uncondition, recondition myself to not think like that. I watched it with my grandmother. I watched it with my mother. I mean, hard lives. My, my sister. Like, I don't want my children to have a hard life. I don't want you to have a hard life. And we, you're right. We have to change the narrative because we're perpetrating it on the younger generation.
2: Yeah, like how many times do you yourself realize that you're trying to be the superwoman, but you don't make the change? You know, I think about... A few years ago, my partner lost his brother and it was very hurtful, the whole situation. Right. But what did I do? I did not grieve. I can tell you that I went into Superwoman. I have to fix this for him and his family. I planned a whole I never planned a funeral before. I planned the whole funeral. Like I just became this woman and I never took that time to process like how I was feeling, what I just saw, like any of that. And it's like how many times have I did that before? Cause I realized it this time, but how many times have I done that before? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the norm. I feel like I've seen my mom do it. I've seen my grandma, my aunts, just muster on and be that woman of strength. And I think that's also something we have to start checking ourselves for as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. What, what advice do you have for people looking to protect and improve their mental health?
2: The biggest thing that's helped me is really journaling. And you hear people say that all the time, And I would be like, oh, no, no, I write too, like too slow. I need to just text, get it out or something. And I did start with the phone and that's okay. If you want to just start with your notepad, but taking that time with the pen and paper, it does something for me. And I've recommended it to friends, you know, who've gone through postpartum or anything and it, and it helps. There's power in getting that out with a pen and a paper. So I would definitely say start there and realize what, what is it that you're feeling? Like just write down what you're feeling right now and reflecting and then look for support, whatever that looks like for you. Whether, you know, it's a friend, mentor, I would recommend a therapist because there's such value in a third party opinion of someone who doesn't necessarily have an alternative motive. Not that your friends and family don't love you, but they know you too well Mm. and they know what they want for you. right? Right. The therapist doesn't want anything for you, but to help you and support you and guide you to get to that journey. So I'd say, write it out, find support and talk about it. Talk about it with people that you talk to just on a normal day. Find a committee or an Instagram page or something. I found an influencer that I really adore, not because it's like, She's portraying this just fabulous life. She's honest. Mm -hmm. And it's just such relatable content. And I think you can feel when it's a genuine, I want to help others with my story. Mm -hmm. And that's what she gives me. And that's what I want to give to other people is like that genuine, I'm here to listen and help you with what I can. Because I want to be something that I didn't have. So what's next
1: for you, Asia? I clearly am a big fan of yours and I'm always <laughs> lovely to be here to support you and, and to lift you and amplify your voice. but like what's next for you in this in this arena that that will help you help others
2: It's a good question. It's something I'm noodling and that means I'm thinking brainstorming. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle because I, w- I want to get out there and help other people because I feel like there's such a need for it. But then I also struggle with wanting to be private. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, I think I also I'm still battling that stigma of like, you can't be talking about this. What would your grandma say? And it's like, no, girl, you got to mean it. And so whether, you know, that's me following like you doing a podcast or trying to get some type of platform to share, because when I shared that poem, I felt good getting that out there i felt like i did my part to help whoever read it not feel like they were the only ones who felt like that and i want to feel like that again yeah
1: well you're doing that by (laughs) being on the podcast today and being so honest and, and forthright with your story and your desire to help others and to remove that stigma to talk about the importance of mental health so we appreciate you so much you know we love you we adore you and anthony both and it has been our honor to host you uh today on the podcast
2: yes thank you for having me you're very welcome
0: <laughs> hey uh anthony uh, uh senior uh dookie blue devils went down oh Sorry. don't do that, Sorry to hear about that don't Ann. do
2: that
0: <laughs> i just gotta drop it on the <laughs> podcast buddy thinking about you
1: wow so we're ending with violence <laughs> literally and i'm gonna have to go home to this <laughs> Well, if folks want to get in touch with us at Everything's Not Black and White Podcast, what do they need to do, Brian?
0: They can uh, follow us on Facebook at Everything's Not Black and White, or they can email us at embwpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes, and whenever Miss Asia decides what her future holds, we'll make sure we will alert all of you as well, because I know you will become big fans of hers, as we already are. (laughs) So thank you again Asia for being with us Thank you all for being with us Don't forget to like, subscribe and share We will see you next time See ya Bye